If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, and we will also be in Proverbs chapter 4, and we will also be in Isaiah something. Let me check my notes. Isaiah 49, Isaiah 49, <clears throat> okay, so 2 Samuel 3, Isaiah 49, and Proverbs 4, that's where we'll be today, um, and uh, uh, we'll get through that today, hopefully. Today we're going to finish up our study on the people surrounding David, so... That'll be kind of exciting. Um, and I hope, y'all, um, I hope y'all enjoy and see the value in having the kids in here as well. I know they can be distracting, but that's life, you know. And, so, and there's an extreme value in, in your kids seeing you worship, you know. Um, and so thank y'all for doing that. We have a lot of kids here, and we, we keep having more. We... we when I say we, I mean us collectively. We adopted one a couple months ago. Uh, we just had one a couple weeks ago. We're going to have one in February. And so we've got a lot of kiddos, and we've got a lot of needs over in that, in that room over there. And so you know how sometimes uh, a business will go on like a spending freeze or hiring freeze? We need to go on a baby-making freeze for a little while because our, our children are about to outgrow our infrastructure. And so... I'm going to put that in place um, as far as, it, well, hold on, I, you need to keep practicing, but just make sure nothing happens, okay? As long as it's inside the confines of marriage, please practice that a lot. That's very important to a healthy marriage, um, but let's stop making babies for just a little while, okay? We've got a lot of stuff happening over here. We're trying to keep up, okay? Um, just a little while. It's just a short time, a short freeze, so. Okay, so uh, let me, um, after I've done that, let me pray for us as, as I, I'll usually as I open up my Bible and as I look at my notes, I want to just pray over this, what we want to talk about, um, and make sure that we can um, uh, hear what the Lord has for us today. So let me pray for us again. God, I pray right now, um, Lord, I, I pray that we would, um, uh, that we would listen to what's in front of us, God, and that we would um, uh, hear exactly what you want us to hear. And um, I pray that chains would be broken today. That's our prayer. Amen. Okay, so today we'll finish up. Michael, we started last week. Uh, this will be our last week to, to study people surrounding King David. Uh, if you're here the first couple weeks, we spent two weeks on Mephibosheth. If you remember that guy, he was a guy that was born an enemy of the king, yet the king went after him and said, I want you to come live with me. And he said, I'm going to take care of you. And the struggle with Mephibosheth was he had to leave behind shame and he had to leave behind guilt in order to have fellowship with uh, the king. And then we spent a week, we looked at Abigail, who's a, a great example of a spiritual bride, uh, that David um, extended grace and mercy to her. And you'll remember that she treated him, uh, treated David very well. But the interesting thing we studied about Abigail, as you'll remember, she was married to an idiot, 
And she came in contact with David, and he said, I send you in peace. And then what did he do? He sent her home, <laughs> right? And so he said, I give you peace, but your circumstances that you're going back to may still be difficult. And even that speaks to the truth of part of the gospel is that, is that the promise of the gospel is that God gives us peace amidst difficult circumstances, okay? Um, and then we spent a week, we looked at Abner, uh, who's... <clears throat> who is Saul's general. you remember a great story because Abner spent his entire life fighting David, and then in his last days, he came to David. He looked at the, uh, he looked at the idols that he had placed in his life, and he saw a pattern, right? Um, like that song we sang, that song Chainbreaker, I love that one of the lines says, when you've been walking down the same old road for mile and mile, mile after mile, right? And, and uh, Abner's a great story of, he... he uh, he found himself in a pattern, and he looked at the idol that he put in front of him, and he was wise enough to stop and to say, hold on, I know where this road leads. And for the first time ever, he turned and saw uh, uh, King David. And what did David do? He says, you go in peace, right? Um, and then Abner is shortly killed uh, thereafter. Uh, then we spent a week, we looked at Joab, who was uh, David's general. Joab, unbelievably loyal to the cause if you'll remember, he was David's general for about 40 years. We have zero accounts of him ever losing a battle. He was the guy that, that uh, killed Bathsheba's husband. He was the guy that took Jerusalem as David's capital. If David needed something done, Joab was the guy. But on his deathbed, if you'll remember, David said, do not let his head go down in peace. And so this was a man that his entire life he did great things for the king, but he never had the heart of the king and never had a relationship with him, right? Uh, and then last week, or two weeks ago, we looked at a guy named Barzillai uh, that aided David, that would give him out of his plenty. He was a very rich guy, and so he said, here, when David was uh, running from uh, in the desert, he said, here, take, here's some food, here's some stuff to keep you and your men happy. And then David said, hey, I'm going back to Jerusalem. And, and David said, this is what I really want. And don't miss this. David said, this is what I really want. I want you. He says, I want you to come with me. And remember, the offer is, he said, you can live with me and I will meet all of your needs. But you have to give up what you've made over here. You have to give up this life. But come with me. I'll take care of you. And he wouldn't go. And so he had drawn a line in the sand. that He said, I'm willing to go this far, but I'm not going any farther. And it's kind of a sad story, right? And David did not hold it against him. Don't miss that either, okay? Uh, David thought well of him. And, and much like the Lord does with us is that when we say, God, I'll go this far, but I'm not going any far. I'm not crossing that river. What did David do? He said, <sighs> he said, okay. He said, okay. I'm going to miss you, but okay. And he lived distanced from the king. Um, and then last week we started looking at Michael, who is one of David's wives. Um, and Michael, we talked about her love for the, for the Lord's anointed last week, which what we found out didn't amount to much. Okay? Uh, the Bible said Michael loved David, but remember, we looked at the original Hebrew, and there's no emphasis on that. It, it's, it's the same way as if I said, man, I love potato chips. Right? It, that was the same thing being communicated. It says Michael loved David. Uh, but like many young girls... Um, some of y'all have parented young girls. Sometimes they're not 100% logical in their feelings, 
I know, write this down. Simeon, you write this down. Uh, and, and sometimes they're persuade, persuaded by their culture. And so we saw that Michael, uh, when David was at the peak of his um, popularity, Michael said, oh, I'm in love with David. I love that guy. But when it actually came down to him running for his life, we actually saw that she wasn't interested in him. She just wanted the benefits of him. And so what we kind of talked about last week was, <clears throat> is, is church always keep in mind that we have this vertical relationship with the Lord, right? And this vertical fellowship with the Lord. But we also have this horizontal relationship with the church and with those around us, right? And, and Michael's a good image of when it actually came to this vertical relationship with the Lord's anointed, with King David, she really wasn't interested in it. What did she want? She just wanted the benefits, right? And so I, I suggested, and this is my opinion, so you can disagree with my opinion. I'll always tell you when it's my opinion. Uh, my opinion and, and my experience is that we tend to struggle. We tend to kind of fall one way or the other. When it comes to Jesus and his church, and start looking for it, you'll see it. Some people love Jesus, they do. They love the guy, but honestly, they don't want anything to do with his church, right? And, and they love this focus on this vertical relationship, but when it comes to this idea of actually having a horizontal relationship and loving those around us and being involved in a church, some people say, I don't want to do it, right? And usually that comes after um, maybe there's, a, there's a, some history there. Maybe they've been burned by the church. Maybe they've been hurt by Christians, right? <clears throat> and I always want to you, you may turn me off after I say this. I always want to respect everyone's story. Um, but for those, for those Christians that they love Jesus, but they've, they've decided, and notice what they've done here. They've drawn a line in the sand. They said, I'm not, I'm not going near the church again. I'm not doing it. I, and they say, I was hurt by the church. And again, I, I want to respect your decision and your, your story, but I want to say this. Get in line. Right? I was hurt by Christians. Get in line, man. I've been hurt by Christians severely, way more than non-Christians. I have. And I'm, I'm not asking for volunteers, but I, I know I'm not the only one in here. And what we said last week was if I put a microphone right here and said, let's all share stories of times we've been hurt by the church, we would be here a while, right? And so just please be, be aware. I want to respect your story. I want to respect uh, your history. But we cannot give up on the church, guys. We can't. Okay, because I promise you she's worth it. She's worth pursuing. She's worth pursuing that fellowship. Okay, and just a little bit of practical, uh, practical information for you. If there's a church of 100 people, I'm telling you, there's probably two or three ding-dongs. You know what I mean? There's probably two or three people that you, that you just, ah, they just, they don't get it. They're, they don't get it. And, and then I, I promise you, there's probably 50 or 60 people who are incredible people of the Lord. I promise you. And then there's some people in there who they're easily swayed one way or the other, right? Uh, the Bible says they're kind of tossed back and forth. But I promise you with, with any church, if you get in, if you say, I'm committed to this horizontal, I'm committed to the church over here, if you get in behind the lines, I promise you will find some of the most incredible people uh, you can even imagine. You'll find some of the greatest fellowship. You will find incredible friendships, okay? Uh, but there's a risk to it, right? Um, and so anyways, all that to say, point being, people tend to say, I either want Jesus, and I want nothing to do with this church, and what this looks like is it's, it's, the, it's the isolated gospel, or, or we'll say, it's, the, it's just me and Jesus, you've heard that phrase, right? I don't need anybody, 
It's just me and Jesus. The problem with that is the New Testament, if you read it. Okay, most of it's written to groups of people and it's written to churches. And, and then the other group of people, and this one's a little more difficult to see, is, is honestly they, they love the church, they love the fellowship, they love being a part of something, but when it comes to an actual, real, living relationship with the Lord, they're not super-duper interested. Okay, And in our culture, we, we have a lot of this, that they're people, that they're a part of a church, they even know the lingo, uh, they know some, some, uh, some of the songs, if they're really super spiritual, they even know how to go, mm, during a sermon. You guys know that? Like, you hear someone behind you go, mm, and you're like, wow, that guy is like, wow, like he's really spiritual, right? But sometimes the, when it comes to an actual personal relationship with Jesus, it's, it's just, it's kind of lacking, you know? And you can, when you start to dig into their life, you don't really see much of a love for the Lord. You don't really see much of a pursuit of holiness. You see kind of more of a Joab, right? That they, they do stuff for the Lord, but do they have the heart of Jesus? It's, it, you don't see it much, okay? And so we tend to fall on one or the other. And so point being, um, last week, yeah, we said Michael, she was all about that horizontal, man. She loved the benefits of the Lord's anointed, but when it came to actually the heart of the king, she had very little interest in it. And so uh, what we're going to look at today is we'll look at um, David's love for Michael. Last week we looked at Michael's love for David. This week we're going to contrast it with Michael's or David's love for um, uh, Michael. And in doing so, we can even ask the questions of, it's always interesting, um, make sure we, we're not, and I say this a lot, you know, make sure that we're not singing about, praising, or even, even taking a stand on my love for Jesus right? Um, and last week I introduced you to my new song that I, hopefully it should be on iTunes pretty soon. It was called My Love for God, and it went something like this. My love for Jesus is based on circumstances. My love for Jesus depends on my feelings, dun, 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 right? I, I don't remember what it was like, but it wasn't like that. But point being, if I were to sing a song about my love, it would be inconsistent. It would be empty commitments. It would be promise breaker, right? And you might be thinking, dude, you're a terrible guy. No, it, it's just I focus, I try to focus on the perfect love of Jesus, okay? Um, and um, the only promise I can make, I said this the very first time I ever stood up here. I ever sat here, I said, if you want Russell to, to make a promise, here's one promise I can keep. I promise you I will let you down. That's the only promise I can keep, right? And I said, it doesn't mean that I'm going to like egg your house and slash your tires, but what I mean is that the day is coming when I'm going to say something, or I'm going to do something, or I'm going to send a text that you read wrong, or I might miss a phone call. You know what I mean? Or I might say one sentence, and you're going to be left going, mm, you really, you really let me down there. And my answer is, hey, at least I kept my promise, right? The only promise I can make is I, I'm going to let you down, right? And that's true of everybody, right? I can't keep any promises, anything. I don't make any promises, even with my kids, Dad, do you promise? No, but I'll do my best. I can't promise anything, okay? And so um, just make sure that we're always contrasting that with the love of God for us. So look in Second uh, Samuel chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at David's love for Michael. The last where we left off was David um, had been running from Saul, and Michael had a chance to go with him, but she chose to stay behind. She chose to live in the, the castle. She chose to live 
uh, in comfort. And she didn't want anything to do with the rejection of David. She didn't want anything to do with the suffering of David. She says, I just want to to be known as David's wife. Okay, And so this is where we, uh, what has happened since we last left off is Saul has died. um, And David is anointed king over Judah. And the house of Saul is becoming weaker and weaker. The house of David is becoming greater and greater. And we're pick it up in chapter 3. Now, what I'm about to read is we read this when we studied Abner. This is the part where Abner comes to David. Okay? And so remember what's happening here is, is David is, has been kind of an exile. And so what we're about to pick up in the story is all of Israel and all of Judah is about to come underneath him. And he's going to be king over them. So do you understand the context? Okay? So David's coming back. It's been years it's been, we don't know, it's been seven years, ten years, twelve years. Point being, it's, he's been gone a while. He's been gone a while. We have no record of him ever seeing Michael. Don't miss that. We have no record of Michael ever going to see him, but it's been years and years. So chapter uh, 3, verse 12. Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you. Okay? And then he says, but. And look, at, look what's on the dude's mind. The first thing. But I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring who? Michael daughter of Saul, when you come to see me. That's his, that's his wife. Don't come to me unless you bring my bride. Then uh, David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. Okay, and so the thing I don't want us to miss is that David is serious about his bride. Okay? And I, I hope you see the, the image here, is that this is a clear image that Jesus is serious about His church. Okay? And everything we read about, resist the temptation to just make this about me and Jesus. This is all about Christ and His church. And, and don't miss that, guys. When David comes back into his kingdom, th- there's no, he doesn't do the, oh, oh, by the way, Michael. No, he says, okay, I'm coming to be king. But I demand this. He says, bring me my bride. And don't, don't be <laughs> discouraged, church. Jesus is coming for his bride. The first time he came in, he was riding a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. When he comes back, he's on a horse. And he's got a crown on his head. And he's got a robe dipped in blood. And he has a tattoo on his thigh that says, King of kings and lords of lords. And he's leading an army of angels. Jesus is coming for his bride. Do not forget that. He is serious about his bride. Okay? And so we see, uh, uh, pick it up in verse 15. So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her, that's Michael, taken away from her, what's that word? Her husband, Paltiel, son of Liash. You remember what happened was after David left, Saul gave Michael to another guy to be wed. And we said this is a false wedding. This is a false covenant. This is a false agreement. But she lived under this false 
a, a covenant with this other guy, even though she was united with the king. Great image here as well. Was her heart devoted to David during this time when they were in exile? No. Where was David's heart during his time in exile? On his bride. Again, another great image of the, the bride. Her love pales in comparison to David's love for his bride. Uh, verse 16, her husband, however, went away or went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, go back home. So he went back. And so I want to take a minute to talk about this is something that um, uh, kind of came to my attention years ago as a, a men's retreat. And something they talked about were these false covenants. They talked about false agreements. OK, this is an image. Uh, Michael, for years, lived under a false covenant. She was married, but she wasn't really married to this guy, but it was not an actual covenant. It was a fake covenant that didn't stand up against her being united with David. Don't miss that, right? It's not that David came back and said, oh, you got married to... No, no, he came back and he said, "Uh uh-uh. He said, "Uh -uh, uh uh-uh, this is my bride. This, This union between me and her will not be broken, right? And so it's this idea that we can live, Christians, we can live for years under false agreements, under false covenants. And the, and the way this, this works, it's kind of like a word picture, so stay with me. Usually it, it happens like this, is that we, we have some sort of, um, oh, I, I don't want to say catastrophe, I don't want to... Uh, uh, over-exaggerate, but usually we have some sort of falling out. We have something that greatly impacts our life, something very difficult, right? Uh, maybe it had something to do with from when you were a kid, uh, your, your parents splitting up, or maybe it has something to do with your marriage or the, or the loss of a loved one, or maybe it has to do with you being severely hurt by others uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, right? And, and usually what happens, those are the times where Satan sneaks in and what he does is he does this. He comes up to us and he says, he has this false agreement. And he says, hey, looking at all the circumstances, everything that's just happened to you, wouldn't it be great if this never happened again, right? And he says, this is what I want you to do. If you sign right here, and again, this is a word picture, okay? He says, if you sign right here, I bet we can make sure that you never get hurt like this again, right? And so what these false agreements look like that we end up signing are, uh, a lot of them, they, they sound like this. We sign our name at the bottom, and the, the false covenant says, I will never trust the church again, right? Anyone ever made that decision? Or it may sound like this, um, I will never, and we sign our name, I, will, I agree, I will never need anyone ever again, because the last time I needed someone, I got burned, right? And the only way to protect us, to, to protect ourselves from that is to say, I'm never going to do it again. Or another one is, um, I'll never, ever be open to a, another person ever again, right? Have you all done that? Where I mean, you have really, you have absolutely opened yourself up to someone and you got crushed, right? And it's at that moment that Satan slips in and he says, hey, we can make sure this never happens again. Here, sign this agreement. And, and we have this, this agreement in our mind, right? And for the rest of our, well, I shouldn't say rest of our lives. It can be for months. It can be for years. It may be for the rest of your life that when you come into that situation 
of, hey, I, I need to be in fellowship with other believers, what does Satan do? He says, hey, he says, don't forget our agreement we signed, right? Y'all, are y'all following me on this? And he says, uh, I, I see that you want to be a, a, in fellowship with these other men, but Satan says, hey, don't, don't forget what happened last time and don't forget what you promised me, right? And, and we can bow down to these false um, agreements. I mean, and they, the list can go on and on. Maybe we sign off that says, I am going to carry this secret with me until I die. I will never, ever tell anyone this, right? Um, or maybe it's the agreement of, I will use guilt, shame, and manipulation to get whatever I want in my household, right? And this is the good thing about uh, the gospel is that these false agreements, guys, don't forget they're false, by the way. They, they don't stand up at all. And, and they do not nullify your union with Christ. Are y'all following me on this? Is that as a church, when we're united with the Lord, when we're united in Christ, that is a covenant that is signed in blood and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And you can write all the false agreements you want. You can. You can make all the rules. I'm, I'm never going to trust anyone again. I'm never going to trust the church. I'm never going to be open with other people again. I'm, I'm, I'm never, and you can sign it, but they don't change the truth. Okay, And you can even live under, man, you could bow down to these false agreements for years. But the whole time, the king is saying, hey, you don't have to do that, right? And it's the same thing that Michael, for years, lived under this false marriage. And David comes back. And, and notice, David doesn't even have to be like, oh, let me work to get Michael back. No, he just, he appears on the scene and he says, she's mine, Right? There's power in that, guys, right? All she had to do was just turn to him. Um, okay, so look at, so again, this tells us about David's love for Michael. Are you starting to see what it means when we say God's love is unconditional? Even when we write up these false agreements, God says that doesn't stand. That doesn't nullify anything, right? And so uh, look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 6. This is going to show us a little bit more about Michael, and it's going to reveal her heart a little bit. And you're probably at the point to where you say, hey, we get Michael's heart. We don't really need to see, but this shows us the end of the story. Second <clears throat> uh, Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. Okay, so what's happened between the last chapters is um, David becomes king over Israel. David, David, David conquers Jerusalem. He gets the ark, and the context is David is now bringing the ark of the covenant of the Lord, which is the, uh, the physical presence of uh, the Shekinah glory of God. He's bringing that into Jerusalem, and that's where this story picks up right here. Okay, And we'll point out a couple things. Again, we'll look at Michael's heart here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. David wearing a linen ephod, which that's what the priests wore, he danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and a sound of trumpets. So this is a big party. Uh, David's dancing. There's trumpets. There's shouting. This is, it's a big scene. Y'all picture this in your head? It's a big deal. Those of y'all that were with us in um, uh, Israel a couple of years ago, y'all know uh, uh, Hebrew people know how to party. Y'all remember that? Like they know how to get down. They put us to shame they have such, it's so exciting and so collective and it's so, yeah, they're so excited. And so try to get that picture in your head. 
as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, who, who? Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. So that should tell you something there, okay? Uh, When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent, that's the tabernacle, that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord after he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, that, man, that, I was just reading through this last night, that really challenges me. Notice this, David's been out working, he's been out dancing, He's been out, well, those aren't the same thing. He's not working and dancing. He's been working, and then he's been celebrating and dancing. It says that he's blessed all the people. He says he's been, he's been working like a dog. This really challenged me last night. When David re- returned home to what? Bless his household. Man, that, and this is off topic, but I, I just I felt like I wanted to say it. It's like, good grief. There have been times, there have been seasons where I, give my, I devote myself so much to work and when I say work, I mean like I do remodels and additions. I'm swinging a hammer throughout the week. Um, that that I will go home and I'll, I'll catch myself thinking these words: "Time to give my family my leftovers," you know. And I don't know if that resonates with anyone. And, and then I feel this like sickness in my in my heart of like, is this is this God's plan for a Christian family? Is that I go devote myself entirely to? a job, and then my, my girls get the leftovers. And, and this is so challenging. It says, when David returned home to bless his household at the end of the day, right? And how often I return home, and, and, and honest, honestly, um, and I'll, I'll always try to be as honest as I can, how many times does Russell walk into the house, and what does Russell want? You better take care of me. You know what I mean? I've been working hard all day, right? And, and honestly, I go in and I look for my family to fulfill me, Right? When scripturally it says, it says the opposite, that man, the idea of going home, and when I walk in the door, I look to pour into my family. Right? That's, that was just very challenging for me. Again, I thought of that last night. That was for free, okay? It's not even in my notes. Um, when David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. So a couple things I want to point out with it that we're learning a lot about the heart of Michael. Um, clearly, she wasn't a great gal. This is a time that she laughs at David. She despises him, okay? Um, and you can always tell a lot about our hearts by what we laugh at, you know? Um, I say, if, if, you, if you can tell me, I can, uh, I can learn a lot about a guy by several things, just really five things. Well, not, that's not everything, but if I said, hey, what do you, what do you laugh at? What do you, what do you laugh about? 
Uh, what do you complain about? Oh my goodness, you can tell so much about a man by what he complains about. Um, and then the, the question, and this one goes deep real fast. Hey, tell me about your dad. You can learn a lot about a man by just tell me about your dad. Um, and then, uh, can I see your calendar and can I see your checkbook, right? Uh, those are things that if you want to learn about, if you really want to know the heart of someone, if you really want to examine your own heart, what do I laugh at? What do I complain about? You know, tell me about your upbringing. You can't control that. But then even those last two, what, wh- where's my, what's my calendar look like? Where do I spend my time? And then what's my checkbook look like? Where do I really spend my money? You know, uh, that tells you a lot about our hearts, okay? And what we see here is that Michael's heart uh, is, is very much uh, lacking. Um, keep your finger right here, but flip over to Proverbs chapter 4. Just after Psalms, I said we'd go there. I want to talk about the heart real quick. In your Bible, you know, it says that Michael despised David in her heart. In the Bible, when it says heart, that can be kind of a weird, mystical thing. What it really means, like in the Hebrew, it it means your mind and your will and your emotions. It's not your soul, okay? So anytime the Bible speaks of your heart, it talks about what makes you, you. So think about your emotions. Think about your mind, your will, right? And and, And keep in mind, even with your mind and your will, we don't, doctors don't know where that is. You know that? They, they can't cut open your brain and say, there's the mind, it's right there. We know where the brain is, but the, the, the mind, and, and people, they don't know, they say, it's, we, it's in here somewhere, like look at me, right? It's probably in here, or, or is it in here, is it in my chip? We don't know, but the mind, or the heart is your mind, your will, emotions, it what makes, it's what makes you, you. Okay, and so I want to make sure that um, we're always pursuing uh, the correct sources for wisdom. Uh, This is why I say this, because Michael, here's the thing, she despised David in her heart. She probably, what what you find out when you read, she thought she was right. Did you see that? She didn't just say, oh, I hate you. She said, how dare you undress in front of you? You looked ridiculous. You notice that she's, she's providing rationale for her heart, heart. Do you see that? She believed she was right. Do you all see that in there? Right? And so I want to make sure that as Christians, especially, one of, the, one of the very common things you'll hear people say, and it's terrible, terrible advice we give to people is, hey, just follow your heart. Just follow it. Man, that is awful terrible advice. Uh, several years ago, maybe five or six years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we had one mom wanted to have like a sweet 16 birthday party for her daughter, and they said, can we do it at your house? And we said, yes, y'all come over. And they had all the girls there, and I was uninvited out of my house when it's all the girls, and I said, that's fine, that's okay. And so I went and left, and they had the party at my house, you know, and, and part of the thing uh, was, you know, they did cake and all that stuff, but they, wrote, they had this little tree that they made that, that all the women who showed up wrote, like, little notes of encouragement to her, right? Um, and so as I got back to the house, I'm walking by, and I'm nosy, so I'm just looking. It's not like they were in cards. I wasn't opening the cards, but I could see, oh, here's all the advice. And some, uh, one of the advice that someone wrote was, you guessed it, it said, dear so-and-so, just follow your heart. And these are Christian women, you know. Now, her intentions were good. I get it. I really do. Just follow your heart. But I almost, I kind of wish I had, I almost like just scratched it out or put in, don't follow your heart. Like, I all, 
I, I left it because I was like, nah, that'd, that'd be pretty invasive. But man, I'm, I'm telling you, terrible, terrible advice, right? Um, but we, even as adults, we still, we still go that way, don't we? That we're, we have a decision to come up and we say, oh, I'm just going to follow my heart on this one. Let's see what, the, what does the Bible say about our heart. Uh, in Jeremiah, it says the heart is deceitful above all else. In Proverbs chapter 4, are you there? Verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. So pause there. Remember, the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. The book of Proverbs is about wisdom. Uh, when you study and read the book of Proverbs, it's not a lot of, if you do this, th- this will happen, but it's more of, hey, if you want to lead a, a wise life, I'd probably do this, right? And, and, and Christians make sure, I think we confuse those a lot. I think we always, we try, to, we try to put a lot of life decisions in this, is it right or is it wrong, right? When the reality is what the New Testament really encourages us to do is say, we need to ask the question, is this wise, right? Because there's lots of issues that the Bible is silent on, but we want to know, am I supposed to do this or am I not supposed to do this, right? And the really, really simple example is like, um, uh, the Bible doesn't actually say, and, and this is just one example, uh, should I say I'm going to get married to someone? And we're looking at our finances, right? And... Um, we decide, hey, if we go ahead and move in together now, we can, it'll really help our finances, right? And they come to you uh, because you're a full-time minister of the gospel, everybody in here, and they say, hey, we're, so me and my, my girlfriend, we're going to get married in six months, but we want to go ahead and move in together. What is, and this is the question. They say this, is that wrong? Notice the question. What they're asking is, does the Bible say, lay out, do not move in together? You know, does it say that? That's what they're asking. They're asking you, a full-time minister. And your answer is, well, here's the answer. The, the Bible doesn't say anything on that. It, it doesn't. This idea of moving in together. And so your answer is this. Is it wrong or is it right? I don't know. But I know it's stupid. It's not a, it's not a sin issue. It's a wisdom issue. Is it wrong for us to move in together before we get married? I don't know, but it's really, really stupid. And they don't, people don't want to hear that, Right? It's not, it's not a sin issue, it's a wisdom issue, right? Um, and this is what the Bible encourages towards. As, just as you study Proverbs, keep that in mind. It's, it's this pursuit of wisdom. It's this pursuit of discernment, right? It's not a pursuit of laws of do this, don't do this. It's saying, hey, how do we act in this certain way in this certain circumstance, okay? And then let me say, if I just described you, I'm not, I'm hope, I'm not heaping any shame or condemnation upon you. I hope you know that. Uh, and, I, and I mean that. I hope you believe me when I say that. Okay, so uh, where do we leave off? Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Life and health, those are good things. Verse 23, above all else, guard your, what's the word? Heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And so I want to make sure we know this, that our heart should not be a source for wisdom as we're talking about wisdom here, okay? Um, the Bible gives Christians, or, or Christianity, or I guess God, 
God's given Christians three sources for wisdom. We've talked about this a lot. Number one, believers, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Number two, believers, and these are gifts that He hasn't given to the world. Number two, believers, you have the Holy Scriptures testifying to you. And number three, you have the Holy Church. Okay? So in life, Christians, as we're pursuing wisdom, please filter your questions through those three things. What's the Holy Spirit testifying into my soul? What do the Holy Scriptures have to say about this, testifying to the living Word living in me? And what does Jesus Christ on earth, the Holy Church, have to say about this, right? And the great thing is, is, is that's a pretty stable source uh, for wisdom to lead our heart into, into where we need to go, to lead our heart into understanding and to lead our heart into discernment, right? Is you search within yourself, the Holy Spirit, you search the Scriptures, and then you go to your church and say, hey, listen, we're... we're I'm trying to figure this out. Can you guys give us some discernment? You seek godly counsel. Um, and, and, and please don't. It's kind of like this. Uh, it's kind of like a three-legged stool. I meant to bring a three-legged stool, but I didn't bring a three-legged stool. That was a great story. Um, it's kind of like a three-legged stool for wisdom is that God gives us the Holy Spirit, the, the Bible, and the church. And, and when, you, when you really rest upon those three things, Man, that, that's a pretty solid foundation. But don't do this. Don't do what I'm doing. So many Christians do this is we learn to, eh, I'm not going to use that. We learn to balance on two legs, right? Or we even learn to, you know, we say, ah, I don't really want to bring my business before the church. So we say, I'm not going to use that leg. And, and then we're left with the Bible and the Holy Spirit living in us. And then so many of us are like, oh, the Bible's boring and, I, and I, don't, I don't understand it, which is false. And so we say, I'm just going to balance on what I call the Holy Spirit living in me. And you're, you're trying to balance your life on one leg, right? Can it be done? Yeah. Is that a very solid foundation? Not really, right? And so please filter wisdom issues through those three things. And you'll find they won't contradict one another. They really shouldn't, okay? Um, and I want to make sure, well, here, let's end this. Go back to Second Samuel chapter 6. We're going to end uh, Michael. So as we've looked at her heart, we see that it's, it's pretty dark. We see that she thought she was making the right decision. We see that she thought she was right. But keep in mind, she didn't have the Holy Spirit sealed in her. She didn't have the Holy Scriptures, and she didn't have the church. Let's see how she ends. Uh, verse 23. This is the last verse written about Michael right here. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. That's it. Okay. Now, this is an Old Testament way of saying that she was not walking in fellowship with the Lord. Okay. That does not have anything to do with New Testament, um, anything at all, having children or not. But this is an Old Testament way of saying she, was, uh, she lived out of fellowship with the Lord. And you might be able to figure this out. She didn't have fellowship with who? David, right? Okay. Um, now, it doesn't say that she wasn't married to him. Don't miss that. She was united to him, but they were not in fellowship, right? And so this is a, I, I don't want to call it a, a warning. Um, maybe it is a warning. Um, but just make sure that we're not living distanced from the king and his church, right? Because then we end up with fruitless lives, 
right? In the New Testament, instead of saying children, it talks about fruit. This idea of producing fruit is that we can, we can go our entire lives, our entire Christians' lives, completely focused on this horizontal, right? You remember over here, we're, 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 we're involved in the church, we say the right things, we do that, but, but there's no living relationship with the Lord, and we live entire fruitless lives. Now listen to me. When you, is, is, is the fullness of Christ alive in you? Yeah. Yeah. Are you experiencing it? No. And, and here's one of the big questions. When you die, are you going to heaven? Yes. Does God hold anything against you? No. You're completely declared righteous. But I, I want to make this real clear. This is one of the warning passages in uh, the Bible. It says, um, one of the things that people say is, and again, this is just wrong, along with follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. We say this a lot. Hey, I can't wait to get to heaven. Why? Because there's no crying in heaven. Please hear me say this. My Bible doesn't say that. My Bible says the opposite. It says that when some people come face to face with Jesus, that they're welcomed in. But what does it say? It says he what? He wipes what? Every tear from their eye. Right? Friends, people are going to sob when they come face to face with Jesus. Why? Because when, they're, when their faith becomes sight, so many people are going to realize that they wasted it. Right? I've, I've got 40, 50, 60 years left. And it's possible that if I, if I decided right this second, I'm going to run from the Lord and do whatever I want. I'm going to pursue me, my heart. Then one day when I stand before the Lord, I am going to sob. And He's going to say, it's okay. He's going to give me a hug. And He's going to say, come on in. You're welcome here. But people are going to cry when they stand before Jesus because they'll, they'll realize that they wasted it. They wasted their life. And so this is, I guess, it's, that's a warning passage in Scripture. Jesus will wipe every tear from their eyes. He won't bring condemnation. But people are going to sob, right? And so please don't miss out. Don't pull a Michael. Don't live your life distanced from the king while you're still united with him but distanced from him, right? Um, one of our prayers should be that we know Christ and we know the fellowship of his sufferings. That's, those are the words of Paul, right? Um, and that we walk in faith, that we walk in fellowship with the Lord and uh, with his um, with his church. Um, la can we go to Isaiah real quick? Last thing. We'll read it and then I'm done. I swear. I saw you look at your watch. I know. Last thing and then I'm done. Isaiah, uh, flip to the right. It's just past Proverbs. A little bit. Isaiah 49. I promise we'll read it and then we're done. I know it's time to go. Your kids are, are they're safe back there. They're doing great. Isaiah 49. I love this text we're about to read because this is God's commitment to His church. This is Jesus Christ, His commitment to His church. This is an image of it. Uh, Isaiah chapter 49, verse uh, 13. Verse 13. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts His people and will have compassion on His afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And, and look at verse 14. Uh, Y'all are in quotes right there, right? In your verse. Okay, so that the, the, Bible don't, the Bible doesn't say that the Lord forgets him. This is the Bible quoting someone saying that. Do you see that? So that's, it's not teaching that God forgets people. Anyways, 
Uh, verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Don't miss the direction of that relationship. I, the Lord, will not forget you. The covenant I've made with you that are in Christ. Verse 16, I love this. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Right now, where's Jesus? Don't say in my heart. Where's Jesus right now? Physically, the person, the physical person, Jesus Christ, right now is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens. Right now, the physical man. And, and when Satan brings accusation against us, Jesus Christ, who is our acting high priest, you know what he does? I love this. He looks down at his hands, and what does he see? He sees these scars from this time that some people drove spikes through his wrists and nailed him to a cross. And he, physically, that's right now. Don't miss that. Right? Remember when Jesus raised from the dead? Remember they said, let me see the scars on your hands. Let me see the... the right? And, and when Satan brings accusation, he says, he looks down at his hands and he says, he looks at these scars. And the thing about scars is they don't let you forget, do they? Everyone got scars and I, like I've got broken fingers I've got, and I can, I can tell you each scar with, and Jesus looks down at his hands and he's, he says, I, I will not forget my church. He says, I'm devoted to them. That's good news, friends. That's the good news of the gospel. I love that verse in Isaiah because it's clearly pointing straight forward to Christ. That one's underlined in my Bible. Okay, I'm going to pray. We're done. Sorry that took long. God, thank you for today. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. God, thank you that, that you are devoted to us. Um, and I pray that that would be our focus. God, I pray our focus would not be our devotion to you, but it would be you devoted to us and that they, that we would just live out of that and that we could um, just rest and relax um, and we could just be that we could just be your 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 kids and and that, that we would let you turn us into um, the people you want us to be and God thank you Lord thank you that you are serious about your bride thank you that you're coming for your bride um, thank you that you are serious about your bride. So um, you, we know you're with us this week. We pray that we would just be aware of it. And we pray that we would just say yes to you. When you, when you, when you push us one direction or suggest us to go one way, I pray that we just say yes. So that's our prayer. Amen.